Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning, everyone. Full week. Good morning, everyone. One of the things I love about living in Malaysia is it seems like there's always a reason to have fireworks. So Karen and I were driving back from meeting with some some folks last night and, you know, just driving down the road and there's fireworks up in the sky. Um, So this is a Deepavali weekend. And as such, I think we have a few families that are not with us today. Um, And so we want to just, you know, pray for their families as they they have great family time as they're enjoying some rest. Um, One of the the great promises that God gives us is the the promise of rest um, to give us Sabbath. And so I pray that we all have those opportunities to rest. The other thing I was just uh, encouraged with this week is hearing in a couple of different times ways that God is at work around the world. Um, uh, A brother was visiting from Australia this week and talking about a church that was um, uh, pretty uh, struggling significantly in Tasmania, down the southernmost part of Australia. I guess it's southernmost. Don't, don't test my Australian geography. Um, but this church, uh, God began to do a work in this church, and they began to, to just grow back because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as such, the church began to grow, and now they've actually started another church in that same area. And so uh, praise God for the way he's working. And then just this morning, I heard a report uh, from Brother Chung, who, you know, as you may know or may not know, he consistently goes out and just looks for opportunities to make Christ known on the streets of KL. And um, yesterday, uh, a a food, a cook, a a cook in a stall. Um, Anyway, his name is um, Mr. Ho, and he came to know Jesus yesterday. So praise God. Give me an amen. Amen. Yeah. So with that, then I want to pray for Mr. Ho, um, and then we'll jump into our sermon this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you are constantly at work in ways that we don't see, in ways that we don't always imagine, in ways that we often lack the faith to, to expect or recognize. Father, we thank you for uh, Brother Chung's obedience and faithfulness in making you known. And Father, we thank you for the way that you worked in the heart of Mr. Ho. God, we pray that you would, as you have brought him to life from death, God, we pray that you continue to transform his heart. Father, that you would surround him with um, those who can invest in him. Father, I pray that as he grows as a newborn, 
in you that he would grow to maturity. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give him other believers to find fellowship with. Uh, Father, I pray that you would use him to then share the good news with those around him. Father, we thank you for the way you're working in Tasmania. And God, we pray that it would be so here in KL as well. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As uh, Gupreet mentioned, we are still in this book of Isaiah. It's a very long book. And we're in this section of Isaiah that is an unusual one. Um, it, it talks about these different nations. And so this morning we're in Isaiah 15 and 16. And it is uh, in your Bibles, it may be, you may even read a title that says, An Oracle Concerning Moab. So too often we think that we have control over our lives, over our environment. We think if I study hard, if I work hard, if I save money, and if I marry well, then I have nothing to worry about. Um, a few years back, we met this middle-class family from, from Syria. And, and they thought the same thing. Both had very steady jobs, middle-class family, thriving in school. And then suddenly war descends on that country. And almost overnight, their plight changed. Uh, what, what is it that leads us to be so confident in our circumstances? All over the world, there are stories like this. Whether it's a natural disaster, whether it's a human-made disaster like war, or maybe it's actually something on a more personal level. Sometimes we inflict this immediate change on our own situation. And in the midst of all of this, um, we then, what do we do when things start to go badly? Where do we turn? What are our resources when things go poorly? I think it, it's quite telling of what we truly believe when, we, when those things happen. When times are bad, what do we do? Do we turn to our own ways or do we turn to the one who is sovereign? So this morning we're in this, this, these two chapters in Isaiah. Um, perhaps not the most read chapters of, of the Bible, but the Lord has something to teach us in this. Uh, last week I went through a list of reasons why these uh, chapters 13 to 23, even though they may be a struggle for us to understand, actually are, they're God's word and they're instructive. Um, and one of the ways that it's instructive for us is that it helps us understand a very complicated world. And there is a tendency we want to make things really, really simple. And the world is 
more complicated than that. And we can see that in this passage. We can see that in the plight of Moab. <clears throat> the Old Testament, um, particularly the books of prophecy, they contain much that we, we just pass right over. And, and in this, we really want to just drill down. And so my prayer is that from this, you're able to understand what's going on here a little better. But more than that, actually, is that God would use this to help you think through what your life situation is like. So this morning, we're going to look at this in four parts. Who is Moab? What happens when pride takes hold? What are the boundaries of God's love? And what are the boundaries of God's salvation? So let me read. I'm going to um, read chapter 15, and then later I will read chapter 16. So Isaiah 15, an oracle concerning Moab. Because Ar of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Debon, to the high places to weep over Nebo and over Medeba, Moab wails. On every head is baldness and every beard is shorn. In the streets they wear sackcloth. On the housetops and in the squares, everyone wails and melts in tears. Heshbon and Eliath cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles. My heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar, to Eglath, Shalashiah, for at the ascent of Luhith, they go up weeping. On the road to Horonaim, they raise a cry of destruction. The waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered. The vegetation fails. The greenery is no more. Therefore, the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up, they carry away over the brook of the willows. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Eglam. Her wailing reaches to Bir Elim. For the waters of Debon are full of blood. For I bring upon Debon even more a lion of those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land. This is the word of the Lord. And it's a hard word for Moab. In Genesis 19, I don't know if you know the origins of this nation. In Genesis 19, we're told of uh, cities that have become so vile, so violent, so oppressive that God sends angels to destroy those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's nephew, Lot, um, he and his family lived there, and they're given the opportunity to escape. And in that instance, uh, that the two daughters of, of Lot, they had husbands, and the husbands decided that this was uh, not to be taken seriously, and so they stayed. And so the plight of Sodom and Gomorrah was also the plight of these two daughters' husbands. And so Lot and his wife and his daughters left. They were told not to look back. Lot's wife did look back. 
and uh, she was turned into a pillar of salt. And so then left were Lot and his daughters. They escaped to Zoar, which we heard just mentioned in this passage, but still fearing for their lives, they hid in caves near the Dead Sea. And Lot's daughters saw no way for things to continue. And so they took matters into their own hands. And they laid, they got their father drunk and then laid with him. The, uh, I should have given a warning. This sermon is not a G-rated sermon um, because the Bible's not always G-rated. Um, yeah, and so both daughters became pregnant with their father's seed. And uh, the one son was named Moab and the other son, Ammon. And so that's the origin of Moab, the nation of Moab. In desperate circumstances, we reveal where we truly put our faith. The daughters of Lot saw no way forward, so they took matters into their own hands. Their first sin was not sleeping with their father. Their first sin was trusting in their own ways and not trusting in the Lord. And so we have here a nation literally born out of sinful act, right? And then they devoted themselves to other gods, preferring gods made in their own image. We, we are reminded of Moab again in Numbers chapter 22. Um, and again, Numbers is not a book that probably gets um, put in a lot of devotional books, but a story of um, Balaam, or Balak, the the king of Moab at that time, and he um, basically he wants Balaam to curse Israel, Israel at that time, God's people, uh, because he saw them as a threat. And then Balaam hears directly from God, and and God says, "Do not do this." And so Balaam does not. But nevertheless, what we see in Moab is again trying to take matters into their own hands, not turning to the God of all nations, but turning to their own ways. So in these two chapters, we see this. We see in chapter 15, the sudden disaster that causes the Moabites to become refugees. And then in chapter 16, in the first half of it, verses one through five, a plea on behalf of the refugees for shelter in Judah. And then the later part of that chapter, the contrast of Moab's inflated pride and the reality of this fallen nation. So what happens when pride takes hold? In verse one that we just read in chapter 15, it says, Moab is undone in a night. In um, chapter 16, verse 6, it says this. We have heard of the pride of Moab. 
how proud he is of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Look at that. Look at how many times pride comes up in one sentence. Um, Moab thought a lot of themselves, and this is something that we all battle, every single one of us. Uh, if you don't, come let me know. And just that very act will let me know where things really stand with you. It's kind of a trick. Um, pride, we, we all have this temptation to pride. Um, we all have this temptation to think more of ourselves than we ought, to think more of our ways, our solutions than we ought. Uh, Moab gives us this example. And it's not just sometimes we might have pride in ourselves and our own solutions. Sometimes we might have pride in our nation or our people or our family or our church and place undue uh, pressure on each of these, which can fail us. All the wealth and abundance which form the basis of Moab's or any nation's claims to superiority can be stripped away in a single night. I mean, we saw this recently with Ukraine, right? Things are going well, and then suddenly they descend into war. Um, you know, the, the ring it. There's inflation um, in England. We saw in the last 46 days or so, the economy just totally take a plummet. Um, there is no nation that is beyond this. There's no personal situation that is beyond this. So when hardships strike us, what do we do? Are you trying to solve it your own way? When we had the pandemic strike, what did we do? I think we relied a little too heavily on our own solutions. And yet strain after strain kept arising up. Humans are not quite as uh, incredible as we think we are. And perhaps God is looking for real surrender, real humility. Let me read chapter 16. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land, from Selah by the way of the desert to the mount of the daughter of Zion. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice. Make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcasts. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer, from when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased and he has trampled underfoot and has vanished from the land. Then the throne will be established in steadfast love and on it 
will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is of his arrogance, his pride and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Let everyone wail, mourn, utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of Kir Haraseth, for the fields of Heshbon languish and the vine of Sibma. The lords of the nations have struck down its branches, which reached over, reached to Jazer and strayed to the desert. Its shoots spread abroad and passed over the sea. Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jazer. For the vine of Sibma, I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Aleilah. For over your summer fruit and your harvest, the shout has ceased. And joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful, fruitful field. And in the vineyard, no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out wine in the presses, and I have put an end to the shouting. Therefore, my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab, and my innermost self for Kir Haraseth. And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, in three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought into contempt in spite of all this great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. What are the boundaries of God's love? Their attempts to appease their gods do nothing. At their points of crisis, we suddenly see, uh, see people trying, seeking out higher power. And this happens all over the world throughout history. When there's a crisis, people suddenly get more attuned to the spiritual. Moabites are going to their, their temple, and probably like never before. They're attempting to humiliate themselves, but that makes no difference. They shave their heads, they wear sackcloth, they wail in the streets. But does this draw help from Chemosh, their God? In, in chapter 16, verse 12, we're given the answer. Their efforts do not prevail. And yet, there is one who weeps over Moab, over the demise of Moab. We see it in chapter 15, verse 5, that there is one who weeps for Moab. And then in chapter 16, verses 9 through 11, we actually see God weeping with Moab. Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jazer. I drench you with my tears. This is an amazing thing. That, that God, God is not restricted to any one nation or any one people. That God so loved this people, born out of a rebelliousness to God, and yet his love goes so deep that he drenches them with his tears. 
this is the one true God. This is not a abstract cosmic force. This is a God who is personal and who loves people deeply, even when he is not loved in return. We're tempted to have tribal gods. Tribal gods feed our pride. My God is better than yours kind of mentality. But when we worship the one true God, we can't make that claim. Because my God is everyone's God. Whether they know it or not, he is the one true God. Everyone on earth, all humans created in God's image. And he loves them so much that he weeps with those that he must judge. The worst things that we have ever done, they cannot separate us from God's love. The worst things that have been done to you cannot separate us from God's love. Israel, in this passage, is called to welcome the refugees from Moab as an extension of God's love. Let the outcasts of Moab sojourn among you, be a shelter for them from the destroyer, it says in 16.4. But this tiny nation of, of Judah cannot possibly provide full safety and shelter. Moab's, Moab's safety is not found in Israel or Judah. It's found in God. How much do we do the same thing? Seek safety in things that cannot provide true safety. Finances, for example. Venezuela, a number of years ago, was a thriving, had a thriving economy, was doing well. Um, and in the, uh, through political circumstances, the country took a nosedive and the economy uh, just went really badly and inflation skyrocketed, so much so that their paper money became almost worthless. And so Venezuelan refugees would take the money and use it for material to make little backpacks. The, the cash was worth more formed into a backpack than it was as currency anymore. But again, that can happen to any of us, to any, any nation. We seek refuge in business, politics, family. The things that we think we can find security in, they really cannot find. They provide security. And to place our trust in these things is an act of pride. Our pride can cause us to trust in our own ideas rather than relying on God. So what are the boundaries of God's salvation? In Isaiah 16, 5, it says this, then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
in uh, in our scripture reading, um, Brother Eric read from Second Samuel chapter seven, which is a promise from uh, promise to David uh, via Nathan from God that God would establish His throne forever, His kingdom forever. Now here we are in Isaiah, which is well after the time of David just so we have our timeline straight. And it says, then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David. So it's not talking about David, but it's talking about the line of David, right? And what was promised to David was of future consequence, that this kingdom that would be established forever would be through the one who God sends as the Messiah in the line of David. Moab's only hope is in the Messiah that God will send, the king in the line of David. So here's the cool thing. Are you paying attention? So Matthew chapter one, if anybody's really familiar with Matthew chapter one, what is Matthew chapter one about? I heard the word. It's a genealogy, which again is a passage that we just go flip so-and-so, 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 names I don't recognize. But Matthew chapter one, verse five says this, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. Ruth was Moabite. How incredible is that? That this nation born in rebellion, born in sin, and yet God has a redemptive story for them. For us all, actually. Because through Ruth, we get the line of David. Right? And through the line of David, we get Jesus, the Messiah. Who is a righteous ruler. When you're the one who exploits others, you fear the righteous judge. But as soon as the tables turn and you are oppressed, suddenly we yearn for a righteous judge. The Messiah has qualities of the one true God, faithful, loving, and swift to do righteousness. Refuge and redemption are offered through repentance. We must seek God, and when we do, we begin to see our pride and our idolatry more clearly. We must turn towards God in repentance, acknowledging his salvation brought to us by the sacrifice of the Messiah. We must acknowledge that God loves our enemies every bit as much as he loves us and longs for them also to turn to him. Jesus was born in the line of David as the righteous king who died for you and for me. And in his death, he brought forgiveness to those who believe. And it doesn't end there. He reigns over every nation. His throne will be established forever. We worship so many things in our lives. Gods of our own making. For some, this is a false god. For others, it is pleasure. 
maybe others it is status fame wealth what is it that you worship what is it that your mind lingers on what is it that you wake up thinking about what is it that fills your dreams these gods false gods they will only take from you they will never deliver they will never provide fulfillment that you desperately seek. So in stark contrast to the God who establishes throne in steadfast love, these other gods only take from you, rob you, and lead you on a path that leads to death. Instead of demanding from you, God has given himself his own son as a sacrifice for you. And this is the God who is enthroned, the rightful king. He did not usurp the throne. He is rightfully on the throne. So what do we take from this? Three things. First, pride. It is destructive to our hearts. And it leads to actions that are unhealthy, that are destructive, that are unhealthy, not just for us, but others around us. And so how do we address our pride? We don't address our pride by focusing on our pride. Uh, that keeps us really self-centered, right? And so how do we address our pride? We must focus on the one who is worthy of our focus the one true God. Second point is God's love has no boundaries. What are the boundaries of God's love? Ta'ada. There are none. Whatever you have done and whatever is done to you, it cannot stop God's unrelenting love. God's love does not ask us to God's love does not ask us to go, um, sorry, I wrote a weird sentence here and I can't make sense of it. God's love is the kind of love that calls for complete surrender. Surrender that is, we're surrendering to the one who has something so much better for us. And so it may sound like complete surrender, may sound like defeat, but actually it is victory in disguise. And so the third point is God offers salvation to all, but on God's terms. We do not deserve salvation. And if you think you do, go back to point one on the pride. God offers salvation through Jesus. There is no other way, it says in Acts chapter 4. No, under, no other way under heaven in which men and women might be saved. I want to close with uh, just a passage from Romans chapter 8 that puts in beautiful terms the nature of God's love. 
says this, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you pray with me? God, we, we thank you for your word. And we lament over the, the state of the world. That built born in rebellion since, uh, since the earliest days, since Adam and Eve. Father, we, uh, we pray that we would recognize the ways of Moab. Father, and we pray that we would, that you would help us see our pride. Help us see the idols that have taken residence in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would give us faith to see the righteous king in Jesus. And that we would bow before you. That we would turn away from our own ways that only lead to death. And that we would turn to the way that leads to life everlasting in your righteous reign. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.